Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Lewis Alexander Baxter, who is a 21-year-old founder and CEO of Blurred Line Group, the UK's first funding hub for local mental health charities and community projects. It doesn't stop there. He's also a non-executive director, public speaker, and radio presenter. So welcome, Lewis. Thank you very much for having me. Lewis, you're probably aware as a follower of the podcast, our uh, customary open question is uh, about suits. Absolutely and how you would uh, rate it on the scale of 1 to 10. From what you know of the legal world thus far, what would you give it out of 10? I'm, I'm going to go for a 1 because uh, I've never seen it, but I've been told that if you want to be a lawyer, Lewis, you don't aim to be like the lawyers off suit. So um, I would say a 1 for that question. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think actually the more and more we've been through our first season, I think it, the, the score is gently notching down lower than... Uh, it started at 10, it's sort of navigating itself down to probably 1 or 2. I must say, it's an absolute pleasure having you on. I think you're one of the most inspirational, and I should just point out, Lewis is only 21 years of age, uh, and from what he's achieved and done and trying to do, is immensely powerful. So it really is a pleasure to have you on today. So thank, thank you very much. For, for joining us. Um, so it may sound bizarre at such a young age, but it would be great to sort of know more about you and sort of give a bit more of a flavor of your background. So do you want to tell our listeners a, a bit more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a second year law student at Durham University, and which keeps me busy, I have to say, doing doing any degree, but a law degree is, is particularly challenging. But in, in 2015-16, after doing my GCSEs and doing, doing pretty well, um, I struggled with depression and had a, a big battle with depression for just under a year. I had to defer my studies from uh, A-levels. But after I got the help and support I need, I sort of started a new sixth form, got the A-levels I needed to get into Durham, and I suppose the rest is history. Um, but it took me a long time to speak up about my mental health from a personal level and share with family and friends. And it took me to the brink, I suppose, to actually finally speak up. Um, so I took a walk that I take many times before in in rural Lancashire. Yeah. And um, on that walk, was it wasn't good. I, I had the intentions to, to, to end my own life, to be honest, and to end it all and end the suffering that I'd been suffering from for, for many months. But fortunately, I, I got talked down after many hours with the emergency services and you know, people, loved ones around me. I managed to get the support I needed to, to build on from there. Um, fast forward, started life at, at Durham just over 18 months ago. And I've loved every minute of it. Um, had some struggles, obviously, trying to do the degree uh, and launch the Blurred Line Group, but um, slowly but surely starting to starting to see progress. I mean, there's some fantastic work going on across the country in terms of mental health. You know, more mental health awareness going on now than ever before. But what we're not seeing is these statistics reducing the suicide rate, reducing the number of young people. Um, looking for uh, children and adolescents' mental health support. So the statistics are, are really, really high still for people with mental health conditions. And I want to not only give support to the people who have those mental health conditions, whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety or PTSD, whatever it is, but also support the charities that give those people that vital support. So at the Blurred Line Group, we provide that helping hand to charities. We're the UK's first funding hub, as you say. And we provide grants and mentorship to schemes, initiatives, projects across the UK. And usually the ones that are quite small as well, the grassroots ones that don't have those big advertising and social media budgets that people may not have heard of. And we support those little ones to help them blossom, help them increase their capacity, help them help more people. 
And that's our sole aim, really, to help those grassroots organizations. Yeah. And I know one thing you're very passionate about, as you say, is is there is a lot out there in terms of mental health at the moment. I think education and, you know, people are starting to, you know, talk more, which is great. But for the Blurred Line group, you really do want to kind of make the message clear that you are different in the sense of your offering. And that's a real benefit to your audiences, right? Absolutely. And we're in a very, very early stage as an organization. Yeah, how long have you been going? 18 um, months? It's 18 months, but in this sort of new brand, it's been uh, only a couple of months. We did our launch in London that, that you guys came along to, which is fantastic in September. Yeah. So is this new organization with as the new team that we're forming, it's been a couple of months. Um, but you're right. Um, there's a lot of awareness going on. There's a lot of speaking and reducing the stigma attached to mental health. But like I said, I think that real action, getting people the support they need is is still lacking. There's still people, hundreds, thousands of people on waiting lists trying to get support. And if we can just help a project help someone, um, then we've done our job. Yeah, and I know you have aspirations, obviously, to be a to be a lawyer yourself. And you know, most most people listening in are obviously lawyers, but more, more broadly, and you know, it can be quite a stressful job at times. You know, lawyers in law firms. You know, they're under pressure from clients, you know, there's lots of demands on them and, you know, mental health is becoming more and more of a thing. So what would you say to those people? How can people hear about the Blurred Line group? How can people get involved? How can they use your, your sort of charity and society to, to sort of, you know, look for support? So one of the things next year that we're trying to launch is once we've worked with businesses after a couple of months, once we've done a few of our events and we've got these pots of money, we want to help projects or people who want to start a project that might be in their workplace or might be in their university or school. And that gets that project off the ground. So it might be sort of a a workplace chat or mentorship scheme, or it might be a coffee club, whatever it might be, all about well-being, physical and mental. Um, And that's what people can do, adopt those positive practices in the workplace to help people with their mental health. And I think key, uh, you mentioned the legal profession. It is probably one of the worst professions uh, there is in terms of mental health and support. Great big firms, uh, US and UK firms are making great headway in terms of supporting their employees with mental health. But as I say to recruiters at law firms, more needs to be done. Yep. And I, if I can play my part and support both uh, employees, graduates, trainees, uh, staff at, at law firms, then that'll be great. And I've, I've spoke at law firms and more, more regionally in the Northwest. And I'm open to doing that here in, in, in London as well, because I think hearing from a young person that has had a battle with depression and also a person that is looking to enter the legal profession, I think is really important. And for for people that are coming into the profession, whether that is a trainee, LPC, GDL students, or indeed at university, I think what what is important is you can look after your mental health and have a law career. And that's what I want to, to make clear. Yeah. And I think the other point to mention is the Blurred Line group is very inclusive. So if people, you know, in the legal profession are maybe listening to this, you know, maybe partners or you know, general counsels or even just associates or, or lawyers, you know, and they think actually, do you know, what, I, I'm really sort of want to help, then that's something you're very receptive and open to. I know you're sector agnostic, but particularly in the legal sector as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and what is a, a great point about the Blurred Line Group is that all the money that comes to us, we work with other projects and we're redistributing that money from day one. So for example, if we partner with law firms or associates or, or partners here at, in London, you know, we'd be getting that money distributed to local grassroots projects, those projects that no one's heard of, those projects that don't have a constitution, don't have a trustee board, aren't registered charities and struggle to access funding. That's what the Blurred Line Group does is support those small organizations. And if you ask many people that have had a mental health condition, very unlikely that they will say they've had mental health support off a big 
national mental health organization. It's likely they've had it from a small, independent grassroots organization, and they're the ones we want to support. So I think I'm always open for conversations, and especially in the legal sector, being a, being a, a prospective lawyer myself. Yeah, no, good for you. And you mentioned it there, you've spoken at various law firms, but you are, you know, you're very well known who people who follow your social media and what you're doing at your journey. You've, you've achieved so much already. So congratulations for all that. But do you want to talk about some of your public speaking? Yeah, thank you very much um, for your kind words, firstly. But um, public speaking has always been something that I've, I've really enjoyed. It was one of the things that uh, radio presenting actually was something that I did um, on the, um, the recovery from depression, just as a something to focus on and take my mind away from the stresses of life. And that's sort of developed now into sharing my story in terms of mental health on a platform, whether that be at universities across the UK. I spoke at FTSE companies to their uh, full team. I've spoke at wellbeing conferences and also small uh, small teams uh, just about positive practices in the workplace. Um, and next year, I'm looking to do that as well in 2020. Um, the, my, my sort of speaking slots tend to go up quite quick only because I've got very minimal trying to do what I do I've probably only got one or two a month and that I can do uh, next year. But what I'm looking to do is combine that with the Blurred Line Group. So if I partner with a business, for example, as part of that package, if they support us, might be a workplace presentation, might be a workplace um, speech, something like that. So yeah, I love it. Um, I think it's really important to encourage people. And if, if someone resonates from, from my story, then that's even better. Yeah. What's been some of the feedback you've had from those sort of public speaking engagements? And what have you found sort of intrinsically, you know, because, you know, what have you got from that? And what do you think are some of the themes that you need to be sort of keeping educating people on? I think it's so cathartic. I think that's the key thing that sharing my story genuinely makes my journey and my recovery that quicker because I can share the, the struggles that I had and seeing the audience react in, in the varying ways. We've got tears, we've got sometimes laughing. Mm. Sometimes people do not know how to deal with it. And actually, I spoke at a school in um, a very uh, a deprived area in the Northwest. And I spoke to those students and quite a lot were laughing after the first one or two minutes of me talking about mentioning suicide. They thought this is a laughing matter. These kids are 14, 13, 12 years old. By the end, it was silent. You could have heard a pin drop. And that's the impact I want to try and make that no matter what your background, what your beliefs are, where you come from, mental health can affect you and it will affect you if you don't get the right support. And just seeing some of those youngsters come up to me from really uh, struggling backgrounds um, and struggling to, you know, for example, using their uh, food banks. I know one kid was, was talking about um, and it's it's really eye-opening and really upsetting. But for them to talk about it after a kid that laughed to a kid that came up to me at the end. That's why I do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very powerful message. So thanks for, for sharing that. And again, you touched on it before, but uh, radio presenting, uh, Ribble FM, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the Northwest. My wife's from, from Lancashire. And I don't know, that's a good sort of Northwest uh, accent coming through. But do you want to tell a bit more about sort of how you get involved, how you got involved with that and sort of what, what you get up to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've done that for about three and so years now. I started that soon after my recovery, started sixth form, thought, well, let's try and do radio presenting. And it was great. I've, I've won a national award for it for, for young presenter of the year sponsored by BBC local radio. I have to get that in. Um, and then I've sort of done outside broadcasts, I've done live events. And I prefer that part of it now, if yeah. I'm honest with you, the, the sort of public speaking or the live events rather than being sort of in the radio booth. Um, but it was just something that I did that I'd never done before that was part of my recovery from depression. 
And that's what I urge people to do when I do my speaking, you know, find something you've never done before, something that might interest you and give it a go. And three and a bit years later, I'm still in contact with Kath, who's the station uh, director at the, that radio station who's a great supporter of the Blurred Line Group and me personally. And that relationship has blossomed from me taking the plunge into radio presenting all those years ago. Yeah. Well, great stuff. Great stuff. And I said again at the top of the podcast, you know, you also get involved in a lot of sort of non-executive director postings and not-for-profit work. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. One of the big, uh, sort of one of my main drivers for 2020 is obviously growing the Blurred Line Group and also supporting other young people on their journey in social entrepreneurship. So youngsters that are not just setting up, you know, companies for the for, as a business, but companies that make real social change. And I'm here in London and today um, meeting with two other young people who are setting up their own foundations and own organizations from uh, an environmental protection organization to another mental health organization. And, you know, youth boards, trustee boards, management boards of charities are very underrepresented in terms of young people. And that's something that needs to change. Um, I won't mention names for various legal reasons, <laughs> but there are national boards of national young people's charities who do not have young people on the board. And for me, that's um, really eye-opening, really, where a, a charity or organization tries to make a difference to young people and their lives, but don't have any young people represented on their board. So if I can help any youngsters set up their own social enterprises, um, then that's what, I, you know, that's what I'll try and do, especially next year, using the, the skills that I've had in terms of my you know, fairly new journey with the Blurred Line Group um, and give them the words of wisdom or any failures that I, I found along the way. Yeah, great stuff. And if you were to give tips to people, you know, you've talked about your battle with depression, which, you know, thank you for sharing that. What have you sort of incorporated in day-to-day -day life or what have you taken away that, you know, I want to share that, that that really helped me get through that? Is there any sort of tangibles you would give? I know you mentioned those emergency services and they were helpful, but is there anything sort of little things day-to-day -day that maybe have helped you um, as part of your recovery? Yeah, two two big things I think. Firstly, is is no worry, no stress is too small, and I'm a big advocate of that. I'm, I don't tell anyone really my private life. I keep it very private as it is. But my mum, especially, is someone that I will tell even the minor of, of uh, struggles that I'm facing. And just having that platform, someone to talk to is, is so important. But I respect that some people don't have those relationships with the family or friends. So maybe seeking independent advice from the NHS or from a counsellor is really important. And I really stress that, you know, if you've had a bad experience in with a counsellor or with, with uh, various services, or go and try someone else. There's lots of support out there. You know, come and, come and ask the Blurred Line Group for help. We can signpost to key services across the UK. Um, but secondly, in terms of sort of day-to-day -day stuff, time management and journal taking is something that I do. You know, writing down what I want to achieve in this week or this month and set myself daily manageable chunks. And there's some days that I just do a big cross in a red pen because my mental health isn't great that day and I don't do anything. Health really does come first. And I have days, I had a day about two weeks ago, I remember vividly, where on a Sunday I thought, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to sit in my pyjamas and do absolutely nothing. I had calls scheduled with people with the Blurred Line Group and I just said, mental health comes first. So I'm a big advocate of that. I think that's probably it in terms of advice. And I think there's some key, key points you've mentioned there, particularly because some people might be listening in and thinking, oh, it's only this little thing, but it's really annoying me. I'm not going to go talk to someone about that. But actually, if you let that fester or it kind of plays on your mind, it might be a little thing, you know, talk about that, you know, really share that because that will eventually help you sooner rather than later. I think I take away a point that, you know, no, no nothing is too small to be talked about, right? Absolutely. And you, as you say there, mental health, generally, you've got to put that 
first. And I think some people might be scared. It's like, you know, I've got my work pressure, family pressure, I've got deadline pressure. And again, that just kind of leads to the issue. So somehow people need to find a mechanism where they feel, you know, this is the most important part of my life at the moment in terms of getting my mental health straight. And they need to be able to speak up and feel like they're in an environment where they're able to do that as well. Because I think that's the key point, isn't it? If they feel like they're in an environment where they're not going to be heard and it's just like, you know, well, we've just got to get on with it. That doesn't necessarily help. And that comes back to your point about educating organizations, educating more leaders, educating more people in charities and societies, right? Completely agree. And coming back on what, what you said there, I think mental health is often sidelined in that you have to be in a box, you have to have depression, you have to have anxiety. But actually, I don't know the precise percentage, but over 30% of male mental health struggles are due to finance. And that's due to work pressure, not being able to put food on the table at the end of the week or struggling to afford that holiday that their partner wants. And actually getting support in the financial aspect, whether that's with the Citizens Advice Bureau, a national organization that provide financial support, independent and free, I think that is really important because that snowballs, that little thing that might be a a small financial issue may develop into a larger financial issue if you don't get that support. So finding that medium to speak up about your mental health or finance struggles is really, really important. Yeah. And you are a bit of a juggler, you know, you are, you are juggling many, many things. So you're also an inspiration to other students, right? I don't know how you fit it all in, but you, do you want to sort of share maybe your tips to other students who want to be as proactive and get to where you have at the age of 21? Neither do I really. And actually, the hours, <laughs> hours, to, hours per day just seem to get smaller and smaller that, that I have less, less time for myself. Um, I think it comes back to time management. It's about looking, you know, what I have to do with the various things that you do in your life and then allocating time to it. And also looking at those bigger goals. To put it bluntly, I'm not a first candidate. I don't think I ever would be. I don't think I ever will be. Um, and that's because of I, I have dyslexia. So that's an educational sort of barrier. But also the fact that I want to do other things outside the, the sort of law and studies because it can be quite challenging. Although you have members of staff that have done a law degree, it's challenging and time consuming. And I think having these other things to do escapisms is really important. So look at your long-term goals, look at your three-year goals and think, where do I want to be? How do I get there? Is spending 15 hours in the library every day, seven days a week, really going to get you there? Or can you look to become one of those whole-rounded people with music or sport or charity work and pro bono work coupled with the degree? And I'm a huge advocate of that, actually. I think it's so important to get more than just a degree from university because not everyone is purely academic. No, I'm well said. And I think the other thing is on on that point as well, you're always looking for ambassadors, particularly on the sort of university side of things as well. So if people want to get involved, they should definitely get in touch with you about that, right? Absolutely. One of our programs for 2020 is launching in over 10 universities UK-wide. And that gives us a footprint across the UK, but also allows students to become engaged in what we do. So we raise awareness on campuses. And also, importantly, if we raise money on campus, let's say we raise £1,000 at a university here in London, we will reinvest that £1,000 to start four projects at that university. Mental health projects, wellbeing projects, sports club that have that physical and mental health sort of link. And yeah, we're always looking for young people. As I say, we want young people to be involved in our national board because young voices matter but also in terms of ambassadors, because if you can commit a couple of hours per week or a couple of hours per month to help our cause and you're a young person or an older person, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from you. And we've recently had chats last week with people who want to support with marketing, events, things like that. That's great. We're always open for sort of conversations with people. And you've been, you know, well featured in, you know, national publications as well. And, you know, you're very much getting yourself out there to promote this. Do you want to sort of talk a, a bit about that and sort of how you got, how you got those opportunities? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things when I was first setting out with the Blurred Line Group is I didn't want to make it become about me. And yeah. um, it's very hard to sometimes when the reason why I set it up was because of my mental health struggles and I wanted to give something back. So I thought, you know, working with Austin, who's one of the team at the Blurred Line Group who focusing on sort of external relations, communication stuff, um, he just got in contact with The Guardian and said, this is the story. And they chose, actually wanted to go down the personal route, the legal angle as well, the fact a law student trying to juggle all these things. But yeah, it's great to get recognition in The Guardian. I've had lots of local press as well uh, back in the Northwest. We hope to have a lot more and get myself on panels and uh, discussions and conferences and also the Blurred Line Group gets, you know, get us out there as much as we can, because that's what it's all about, really. Yeah. And as, as you mentioned before, I was at the launch of your, your London event, which I thought was fantastic. And it was great to see a number of sort of industry leaders sector-wide uh, attending that. And that's just the sort of tip of the iceberg, really, in terms of where you guys are going on your, your journey. And you said some pretty pretty direct stats that alarmed me, really, about this. And that's why I was so keen you know, as part of the Legally Speaking to help educate and raise awareness to, to sort of get you on. Do you want to sort of give some of those quite alarming statistics around mental health in our country and, you know, if things aren't done, you know, where things could potentially lead? Absolutely. And and I've not rehearsed too many statistics, but the, the ones that stick out to me is, is firstly one of the one in four, that one in four of us will have a mental health condition. Now, I, I've always disagreed with that. And I've always said, I think it's four in four. I think we all have a mental health condition. Um, but the other one is about the suicide rates. And it's um, it, it, suicide is the leading cause of death amongst young people, uh, males, under the age of 35, I believe. Um, and I think that's really, really stark and frightening, really, that we're in the 21st century, that we've been talking about mental health for many, many years now, starting to reduce that stigma. And, and males are seeing no option but but to take their own life. And being in that position a couple of years ago, when I thought that I would be added to that statistic, is is really it really does does upset me to see that, um, but it is startling. And you know we're not a suicide prevention charity, but what we will do is support organisations that are suicide prevention organisations because ultimately, if we can see those statistics reduce in a local area, on a national level, and play our part in reducing that and tackling the mental health crisis, um, then that's what we're all about. Because I think it's only the statistics that turns the pages in the newspaper, turns heads. It's shocking. It's conversation starting and it's wrong and it needs to change. Yeah, no, well said, well said. And do you feel that universities are, because this starts at grassroots level, doesn't it? I think in terms of preparing people maybe for the real world and all the challenges. So, you know, there is a, a large responsibility from universities readying people, even schools to some degree. I'm quite passionate about trying to sort of educate schools and getting people, you know, it is it is a tough old world out there. You know, you mentioned you're looking to try and partner with more universities, but yeah, tell us a bit more about that and your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's really hard to, to not a hard question, but really hard to see the statistics really, because, you know, more university students are suffering from mental health than ever before. Um, and that's school children as well. I went to my old high school um, in Lancashire a couple of weeks ago and spoke to the sports teacher who was asking me about what, what was mental health provision like when I was there. And I, at high school, didn't have mental health issues really at all. Had a seamless five years at, at high school. And there was probably a couple that I'd heard of in the year that have had little battles. That waiting list now, sorry, I think it's over 70% of, of young people at that school and other schools in the area are accessing mental health support. And that shift over the course of four or five years is startling. And it really does start at a young age. What are the causes? 
I'm not too sure. I think social media plays a huge part. That was going to be my yep. question. What is your view on social media? Yep. So I think for young people, one of the biggest causes of mental health, whether it's implicitly or explicitly, is social media. It's the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Snapchats. I'm not saying any are worse than others. I'm saying they all have a big part to play in safeguarding young people's mental health from seeing body image and young girls and boys, of course, seeing these finely looking six pack toned uh, girls and boys, it sort of sets this image that they have to be like that. And you really, really don't. Um, and another thing as well is seeing a lot of harmful content on social media that Instagram and other social media say they are hiding from young people. But are they really? I'm not too sure. So I think social media, the, the I don't know how you would go around doing that. Uh, parents have a role to play. Schools have a role to play. Uh, young people have a role to play to sort of safeguard themselves from this harmful content. But if it's coming up on their feed, it's hard to avoid it, isn't it, really? iPhones won't really be around. I'm probably showing my age a bit now when I was at school, so I didn't have that luxury. But it must be tough if you're at school, university, or you know, a younger person, and you've just got so much access to all of this sort of media. It, it, it's going to have some toll on you, right? Absolutely. I think social media is a huge benefit. It really does support people with their studies and amongst other things and keeps in contact with people around the world and friends and stuff like that. We're a more connected society than we've ever been before. That is true. But we're also the most lonely. And I think looking at the, the statistics of older people who are suffering from loneliness and isolation and young people that are suffering from loneliness and isolation. You know, I asked my cousins and other people of their age, 11, 10, when, uh, sorry, maybe a bit older, 12, 13, when did the last time you, you called a friend or, or went around the house and, pl and played out? And uh, mine used to be every day, but it's becoming a lot rarer now. So playing TIG outside, it's yeah. becoming playing Fortnite on the Xbox, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So true. So true. I mean, I was I was very good at Poddy. Is that still around? Poddy. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to nod yeah, yeah and say yeah, yes. Yeah, people, but maybe we'll, we'll, we'll cut that out. Um, okay. And, you know, you are definitely, you've achieved so much at such a young age already. You know, you're only going to go from strength to strength and, you know, you need good people around you along the way. But, you know, within the next few years, what, what goals have you set yourself? You know, I, I can see you very much getting more and more sort of media attention for the good, but where have you set yourself goals and what do you you want to sort of, where do you want to be, I guess, is, is, is my point in terms of making a real change and impact. I think two things, um, obviously doing a law degree, uh, w when I finish that uh, in the next two years or so, um, I'll obviously p potentially practice in a couple of years in the city here in London. Um, I will only join a law firm if I'm able to keep some of these mental health projects and initiatives going. And I've been very clear on that and some of my applications to these law firms as well. But I think ultimately, I think whether it's five years or 10 year goal is to work for a, a national NGO or social enterprise, whether in the mental health sphere or not. I love charity. I love the fact that it is running a business, but at the end of the day, it's not to line your own pockets, it's to line, you know, it's, it's to help people. And I think whether it's social entrepreneur and just getting involved in as many projects as I can, I don't know. It's a tough question, but uh, I think law charity is, is the way for me. Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. And we've talked, you know, it's, it's, it has been a very sort of, you know, interesting but also deep discussion which i really hope will benefit lots of people listening in but perhaps more away from your sort of charity duties away from the degree what do you like to get up to for fun what do you do for downtime i know you probably don't get a great deal of it with being involved in so much but yeah give a flavor of what lewis's downtime looks like yeah i'm asked this question quite a lot obviously because people say you do much and i feel like i'm so boring i literally <laughs> I, I the answer is i give i said i don't really know my downtime is the project and i really mean that i you go into my own little bubble 
bubble and, and work on things and ring people and 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 grow the bloodline group as best as I can. Um, walking, seeing family, eating lots of food. Um, I do like food and travel. Favorite cuisine? Uh, tough one. I'm I'm very traditional. Traditional English food, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Lewis, from 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 my side, on behalf of everyone on the Legally Speaking podcast and all of our listeners, thank you so much for coming on and you know sharing your journey. It's only going to help inspire and hopefully help and prevent others um, in the future. So uh, I wish you tons of success with your degree and future endeavours. No doubt you're going to be a superstar. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for the opportunity. Cheers.